Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Let's go. You can take a seat wherever you are. Man, is anybody excited to be in church this morning? Um, I told the 9 a.m., y'all have to have a little bit more energy than me because I was at a youth conference with all my amazing youth leaders uh, with 40 teenagers and slept probably eight hours in the last two days. So are you excited to be at church this morning? Come on. Well, as you know, um, we're in a, in a mini-series, and we're, we're actually wrapping up this three-year journey uh, through Marked by Jesus, and uh, we're finishing in a little sub-series called The Finisher, because we believe that the story of Easter indicates one big truth for us all, that, that Jesus is not just the author, he's not just the beginning, but the good news is that he's the end. The good news is that he knows where the story ends, and it's one of victory. It's one of hope. It's one where he brings everything to redemption. And so I'm excited this morning to get to share a message to you. If you're taking notes, write this title down. Where did God go? Where did God go? Have you ever asked that question before? In the middle of a circumstance or a situation? Like, where is God? I think Mark chapter 14 gives us a really good indication of where God goes when it feels like he's quiet. You ever felt like God hasn't been speaking to you? You ever felt like he's been quiet? I think scripture gives us a great indication of what God is doing when it feels like he's quiet. It says this in Mark chapter 14. If you didn't bring your iPhone Bible, no worries. We're going to have it on the screen right here. Mark chapter 14. We're going through the message version today. It says this. They led Jesus to the chief priest where the high priests, religious leaders, and scholars had gathered together. And Peter he followed at a safe distance until he got to the chief priest's courtyard where he mingled with the servants and he warmed himself at the bonfire. The high priest conspiring with the Jewish council looked high and low for evidence against Jesus by which they could sentence him to death, but they found nothing. Plenty of people were willing to bring in false charges, but nothing added up and they ended up canceling each other out. You ever argue for such a long time and like your argument actually unpersuades you like you're wrong? It's kind of like what's happening here. Like they're convinced that they're wrong already. And they end up canceling each other out. And then a few of them stood up and they lied. And they said, we heard Jesus say, I'm going to tear down this temple built by hard labor. And in three days, build another without lifting a hand. But even that testimony didn't agree. And we know Jesus is not talking about the, the temple, but he's talking about his body. And in the middle of this, a chief priest stood up and he said to Jesus, what do you have to say about this accusation? And Jesus was silent. Everybody say silent. Jesus was silent and he said nothing. Say nothing. He was silent and he said nothing. The chief priest tried again, this time asking him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed? And Jesus responded, you'll see it for yourself. The son of man seated at the right hand of the mighty one, arriving on the clouds of heaven. At that, the chief priest lost his temper ripping off his clothes, which is already a weird indication. I don't know why he got naked here, but he got naked. He rips off his clothes. That's weird, bro. Did you hear that? He said, after this, do we need any other witnesses? You've heard him blasphemy. Are you going to stand for it? In other words, you heard him tell a lie. They condemned him one and all. The sentence was death. And some of them started spitting at Jesus. They blindfolded his eyes and they began to hit him. And they said, who, who hit you? Prophesy and tell us who's the one who's hitting you. And the guards, punching and slapping Jesus, 
they took him away. I'm going to pray in just a minute, but I want to ask you, have you felt like in any season of your life, or maybe even right now, that you're having a hard time hearing from God? You've heard from him before, but right now you're not hearing from him. Right now you have a request. Right now you need a direction in your life, and you're like, I, I don't hear him right now. And one of the, mo the most important moments maybe of your life, and you're feeling like he's absent. Have you been there before? Are you there now? See, I tell people all the time, I'm a youth pastor, but it's the same problem with youth students as it is with people that are in their 40s and 50s. We have a problem thinking that we don't hear his voice, but it's not that God isn't speaking. And I won't even say that it's that we're not listening, but sometimes we equate God not speaking as his absence in our situation. We think, well, if he's not saying anything, he's not in it. But I like to tell you in Mark chapter 14, I think it gives us really good indication that God is working even when it feels like we can't hear his voice. Do you believe that? All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for your presence in this place. You're already here, and we're asking, God, that you would come in. God, you're giving us all an invitation right now to encounter your presence. And so I pray with each person in this room today that they would have an encounter with you that would transform their day-to-day -day lives and their hearts and their minds forever. Jesus, we say that you're worthy of praise in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you give him some praise this morning? Come on, he's worthy. He's worthy. Um, I was reading this story the other day, and, and it totally was like, man, this is a great story. It made me laugh, so I'm like, i got to share it. You might ask, what does it have to do with the message? I'm not sure, but I like the way that it goes. So here's how it goes. There's this man, he's mountain biking. He's a man's man. That's not me. I tell you guys all the time, I like shopping for good deals. I like hanging out with the girls. Me and my wife get pedicures all the time. Judge me as you will. No shame in my game. I love it all. It's great. And this man, he's mountain biking. He's going up this mountain, this, this huge, tumultuous mountain. And it's early in the morning, and he's, he's riding up in this hard terrain. And, you know, if you're a biker in here, he's climbing a mountain early in the morning on his bike. And so what normally happens is on his bike, he starts to see the higher he's going, that he's actually ascending up into the fog, the haze, the clouds. And as the further he gets up and he, he keeps getting to this point, he realizes he's now at a point where he can no longer ride his bike because he can't see even a foot in front of him. I don't know if you've ever been through haze that thick, but I definitely have. He's like, it's safer for me to jump off here and walk till I get to the ascent, and then I'll begin to get on my bike and make my way down the mountain. So he's at the top. He's making his way up, and he's like, this is a great spot to take my Instagram profile picture to let people know, hey, I'm on the top of the mountain right here. I'm going to make everybody jealous. I was up at 5 a.m. What were you doing? And I just finished a climb. He's up there. He takes his picture. He's walking down. He's about to make the descent, and he thinks he's about to get on the trail only to realize that it's actually the ledge of the cliff. This man drops his bike. He's tumbling down the mountain at this point, and on his way down the mountain, he's reaching his hands out, right? You ever been there like if you've fallen? And you're like just reaching to grab onto anything. So he's, he's got his hands out. He's reaching to grab onto something, and halfway down, I don't know how long it was. You know, they, for him, he was saying it felt like it was minutes of falling, but realistically, it was probably like two or three seconds. He's going down this mountain, he's reaching out, and he grabs onto a branch by the grace of God, like sustains his life for a minute. And he goes, immediately grabs on, he goes, if anybody's out there, save me. And he's just dangling here. Eerie silence. Nobody out there. Probably some wolves waiting for him somewhere, I don't know. But he's just hanging there, right? He's just hanging. And then about two, three minutes go by, and obviously nobody's come to his rescue. He's out early in the morning by himself, now hanging on a branch in the middle of the fog, and so he goes to his last resort, as many of us would. He goes, God, if you're out there, save me. And he hears a voice come back to him. Now, at this point, he's probably thinking, if I'm hearing a voice, there's got to be somebody that's watching this. 
And the voice that comes back to me says, God, if you're out there, save me. The voice says this, let go. Put yourself in this man's shoes. If you're hanging from a branch and it's foggy, are you letting go of the branch? This man's like, there's no way God's telling me to let go of this branch. A few minutes go by, the wind pushes the fog away, and he looks down to see how far he's, he's got till he, till he falls to his death probably, only to realize he's only a few feet from the ground. Only a few feet from the ground. I'm reading this and I'm like, man, isn't this the journey for so many of us? That God has given you really clear direction, but you have doubted his voice and you don't even know it, but you're only a few feet from where you need to be. And he might be telling you this morning, today, whatever it is for you, there's something you need to let go of. Or maybe on the contrary, there's something you need to hold on to. You know, coming out, and I'm not saying that we're done with this pandemic, but, you know, seems like we're navigating our way through it now and on the tail end. That there's some things that people in, in 2022 have begun to let go of too soon. And I don't say it's, it's always too soon to quit, but I think most times it's too soon to quit. And I think that coming out of this pandemic now, that there's a lot of you that maybe in your relationships or your marriage, there's been some words that have been exchanged. And I, I shared this at the 11 o'clock. My wife's in here. We could talk about it over lunch. But, you know, when I got married, I didn't anticipate living with her 24 hours a day in a house because of COVID. You know what I'm saying? You know, married people, you know what I'm saying? I didn't anticipate that. All right? I anticipated seeing you after work, having some fun, you know what I'm saying? And then going to work the next day. Like, that was what I anticipated. And now we're stuck inside 24-7. And I'm going crazy. I am going crazy. And a lot of us in here can relate that maybe there's been some words exchanged in your relationships and your marriage and you're wondering, can I hold on another day? You're like, I'm already ready to sign the papers. I'm ready to walk out. Maybe it's your business. Your business, you just barely got through COVID and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Maybe it's time to close the doors. I'm losing too much money. And God's actually trying to teach you something about stewardship and ownership and not letting go before he tells you to. But in your mind, you're thinking, I haven't heard from God, so maybe it's time to let go of the very thing that he told me to start, but he hasn't told you to stop it yet. And I think that there's a lot of situations in our life where we're ready to make erratic decisions based off our own compulsion, and God has not told you to do it yet. And I think today that the reason why this happens so frequently is because we don't pause long enough to say, God, I will, just like that song, I will make room for you. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to say, wherever you want me to go, I will do that thing. But we got to make room enough in our life to say, God, if you want me to hold on, I'll hold on. If you want me to let go, I'll let go. But we got to spend a little bit of time hanging proverbially off this proverbial branch saying, God, whenever you tell me to do something, I'll let go when you tell me to. But I think that we got to make the decision here that even when God's silent, we have to acknowledge something, that he's not absent. When he's silent in your life, it doesn't mean that he's not working in your life. And so today, based off these scriptures, this is what I want you to hear. You can stand firm wherever you are because Jesus stood silent for you. I need you to understand what happens before I really jump into Mark chapter 14. Jesus was being condemned. If Jesus spoke up in that moment and had the angels come and save him, decided to kill the people with just saying a word, if he decided to have God save him out of the situation, Jesus might not have went to the cross. And if Jesus did not go to the cross, there would be no hope for the cross. There would be no hope from Easter. So the fact that Jesus went to the cross for us is our hope that there are better days ahead. The fact that Jesus went to the cross tells me something, that there's hope for redemption. Does anybody need redemption in here? 
Maybe it's for your own life. Maybe it's for a broken situation. But I think that we all have things that need redeeming. And if it was not for Jesus standing silent, we cannot stand firm. So today you can stand firm because he stood silent. So let me give you some context in Mark chapter 14. And then we're going to jump in and uh, the nine o'clock, I, I finished in 37 minutes. So I'm not promising that you guys got lunch plans, cancel them. We're going for about four hours today. So Mark chapter 14, a little bit of context, as you guys know, uh, it's the final 24 hours of Jesus's life at this point where everything that's happening, I believe tells a lot of his character and what, and what Jesus stands for. So now in Mark 14, we're in the final 24 hours of his life. A couple of things that happened leading up to this selection of verses that we're going through today is Jesus's uh, there's, a, there's a, a poor lady who comes in and pours expensive oil on Jesus' head. The religious leaders are like, yo, why did you pour that oil on her head? You could have sold that and given everything to the poor. And Jesus said, no, no, no. That was essential that she did that because she was preparing me for my burial. And then what happens after that is they're all at dinner and Jesus is like, yo, Petey. I call him Peter. His name's, I mean, I call him Petey. His name's Peter. Yo, Petey. That's a terrible name. Unless your name's Petey. Then it's a great name. Um, <laughs> yo, Petey. You're going to fail me. And he's like, I would never fail you, Jesus. And we've read the scripture, but he didn't know it at the time. He's like, I'll never fail you. He's like, you're going to fail me, Petey. And then what happens? Petey fails Jesus, right? And then Judas comes out of nowhere when Jesus is praying and he had betrayed Jesus for a couple of dollars to get some, some Subway sandwiches for lunch for him and his boys. And Judas has now betrayed him. Peter gets erratic and he cuts a dude's ear off, which I think a lot of Christians do when we think we're better than other people. We cut people's ears off and they can't hear God. But let's not get into that. That's another message. And and Jesus is like, picks the dude's ear up, puts it back on it. Like, that's normal, right? We read over this like, Jesus just put a man's ear back on. And that's normal. We just read through like, oh, cool. You guys realize he put a man's ear back on his head? All right, we'll go on. But he puts a dude's ear on, and and in Mark chapter 14, verse 53, this is what's happening. This all just took place, and now Jesus is being taken away by the religious leaders to a place where nobody else could go. It actually says, as we were reading, that Peter followed at a safe distance because there became a point where Peter could no longer go where Jesus was. And I think that this is an important thing for you and for me to understand that there there is places that Jesus went for you and for me that we weren't meant to go. Places where he went to fight for you. Places he went to pray for you. Places he went to plead on your behalf for you that you couldn't go. And there's something that is shifting, if you'll see it here, that God is doing something and Peter doesn't even know it right now. I think we're all the Peter in this story where Jesus is doing something for Peter that is saving his life and his soul and Peter doesn't even know it yet. I think this is what Jesus does for you and for me. So my first point today is through scripture, we're going to kind of go um, through it linearly, but Jesus, he goes to a a lonely place. Have you ever been to a lonely place before? I'll be honest with you. I've been going through a lonely place for a while now. There's there's lonely places and spaces in life that we're all going to come to. The rock bottom, the difficult moments. And, And we're reading scripture here, and it says that Jesus was taken to a place where nobody else can go with him except for him, and the religious, uh, the religious people, and Jesus is by himself in a lonely place. You know, the, the significance of this is that I think Jesus is foreshadowing who he is. You know, the Bible says that, that we don't have a high priest who cannot empathize and sympathize with us, but in every way was tempted the way that we were. That means that in your loneliest places, Jesus has been there too. In your most broken spaces, Jesus has been there too. In your most hurt, depressed, anguished moments, Jesus has felt what you have felt. Jesus went to lonely places for you and for me to remind us 
that we're not in that place alone. And if that's you today, if you're in a place where you're like, I don't know how I got here. You're in a lonely place right now. Listen to me. You're not alone in there. Jesus is sitting in the middle of that with you. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, I know this. I, you know, that's Christianity 101. No, you, you need to hear this. That he's in that situation as you are in that situation. And he has been there to give you a way to say, hey, this is the way I'm going to get through it. He is the light that guides you through. But maybe you're here and you're like, I, I got in this situation by just by random freak things happening. It, these things shouldn't have happened, but I am where I am, and it's not fair. Some of us have been in those places where you've done everything right, but you still got to an unfair circumstance, a place where you shouldn't be. But then there are some of us on the other side of it. I don't want to escape the reality of humanity. Where some of you are where you are because of consequences that you're now receiving from actions you did. Some of you did things that you know you shouldn't have done. God told you not to do it. You decided that you thought you knew what you were, what you were doing was better. It's kind of like this. I've been on a lot of planes the last like month, and I hate plane rides, mainly because, um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm not going to lie, when I start feeling emotional, I either make a joke so everybody laughs, or I, I make sure everybody else feels good so I don't freak out. So I'm on these planes, and I'm like, I'm like a little uneasy. And I tell my wife all the time, I'm like, I wish I could be the pilot. I have no idea how to fly a plane, but I want to be in control so badly, right? I suck at driving my car. What makes you think I could drive a pl- or fly a plane? And I, every time I'm like, I just want to take control. Why? Because we always have this, this innate desire on the side of us in humanity to want to control things, don't we? We want to control our marriage. We want to control our spouse. Tell me I'm wrong. We want to control their people. We want to control our coworkers. But the reality of it is we want to control their situations because we want to have control of our own lives. Because we think what we're doing is better. If I got in the pilot seat of that plane, we would land up in the middle of the ocean somewhere. Like, oh, we're about to land in Hawaii, and here I am in the Pacific Ocean landing in the middle, right? Like, you need to understand this. God's plans for you are greater than your plans for you. His ways, his thoughts for you are better than your ways and your thoughts. God is the one who is the pilot of your life, and he doesn't even need you to be a co-pilot. He doesn't need your help. He knows what he's doing. He knows his plans. And what you have to do is say, God, I want control, but I realize sometimes my control is actually hindering what you want to do. Do you know that? Sometimes it's your own control that hinders the very things that God wants to do in your life. So hear me. In the place where you want to have control, this is for all the control freaks. Holler, I'm one of them. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) If you're somebody that wants to have control, listen to this. You don't have to have control of every situation. You just have to have faith. Because there will come a point where this dichotomy will become real. There is two sides. I think of there's faith right here, and then there's control over here. I will trust God to do it. I will trust myself to do it. And I want to ask you, which side are you going to trust today? Because you can't do both. <laughs> you can't play on both sides of the fence. You've got to choose one or the other. You don't have to have control, but you can still have faith right where you are. And I know for me, every time that I've said, God... I know if I try this, I'm going to mess it up. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have faith in it. You know what? Every time I've found that God's making a way already. He's already making a way, but when I want to have control, I hinder that. So when I step back and say, God, I want to have faith, he shows me that he's already making a way. The Bible actually says this, that he's doing a new thing, that he's making rivers in the midst of deserts. Have you ever seen a river in the desert? That makes it not a desert. He's making rivers. That means that he's doing something where it shouldn't be done. He's making a way for your marriage in the middle of your brokenness. He's making a way for your business when you have not been good with finances. He will make a way if you say, God, I'm relinquishing control and I'm going to have faith for this. You're making a way. Somebody in here today needs to start believing that. He's going to make a way for you. 
Some of you believe the lie that other people deserve good things, but you don't. I preached this to 500 youth students the other day, and you need to hear it too. He's making a way for you. You deserve good things, but it happens when you say, I'm relinquishing control to the one who has all control, to the one who has all the power, to the one that holds the plan, to the one who put the breath in my lungs. You have control. You have control. So point number two. Actually, let me say this. Let me say this. I want you to get this imagery before I go to point number two. Peter is following at a distance, right? Jesus has gone into the inner courtyard. Now he's being harassed by people wrongly. Peter's following at a distance. He can no longer go in. He's outside making friends by the campfire. And I need you to see what's happening. Peter's on the outside. And what it looks like to me is Jesus is on the inside, right? Like we all see this. Have you ever felt like that in your own life? That you're on the outside of what God's doing? He's like, hey, don't worry. I got you taken care of. You're like, what are you talking about? My life sucks right now. He's like, ah, I got you. You're like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't got me. And you feel like you're on the outside of what God's saying. He's giving you a promise, but all you see is pain. He's telling you to have hope, but you're still hurt by that last situation. He's telling you there's still good things ahead, but you're in turmoil. And you say, no way there's good things for me. And you're on the outside of what God's saying is on the inside. I think that there's this proverbial thing that we have to step through, and it's the door of faith. That we will not see what God said. That's what faith is. I'm gonna, I was going to say that later, but I'll say it now. Faith in the original context means divine persuasion. Not just being persuaded in your own abilities, but being persuaded divinely by heaven. That God has something better for you. So you might feel like Peter on the outside, but I'll promise you that if you have the divine persuasion that God will reveal to you, you'll be able to step in and say, God, I still trust you that even though I don't have control, you've got a good plan for me. You're going to work this together for my good. Do you believe that? The second thing was Jesus stood silent. He was in a lonely place, and then Jesus stood silent. Now, I already touched on this, but I need you to understand that even when it feels like he's silent, if you're the one that's walked in here today and You've been at first Wednesdays. You've been doing the 40 days of Lent. You've been, you've been a good Christian. You've read your Bible. You've done all the things, right? The checklist. You did it all. But you're like, I don't hear from God like I used to. Or maybe I'm new to my faith and like, y'all keep talking about hearing from, like, I love you students. They're so raw. Like, what does it even mean to hear from God? And that's a really complex topic that we could talk about more. But that's the common thread of Christianity that so many people have a hard time hearing the voice of God. And when you have a hard time hearing that, you get discouraged and think, God's not with me. God's not for me. God's not working on my behalf. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. Am I living in sin? What am I doing? You got to people pray for me. And nothing changes. And so we think because he's quiet, he's not working. But I believe that even when it feels like God is silent, we learn the content of his character. We learn that he's still good. And here's three things. I'm just going to give you three. I'm sure there's way more. But I'm not a point preacher. So I'm going to give you three things that I have found about Jesus in his silence that I learned about him. The first thing that I've learned in his silence is that God is our comforter. You might be in a moment where you're trying to hear from him and you haven't. And you're frustrated, you're flustered, you want out of the situation, you don't, you're about to make an erratic move. And he's your comforter. He's the one that comes around you and he's the one that says, I've got a plan for you. And you know what it takes? It's that moment of just saying, God, <laughs> comfort means I'm not going to have control. It means I'm going to trust in your control. And he wants to show you that he is the comforter. And maybe you're the one, excuse me, maybe you're the one in here where you're like, I I don't want to be comforted. I just want to get to the other side of this. No, no, hear me. Sometimes God will allow you like the disciples to stay in the storm in the boat and not answer your prayer, but give you peace. 
Sometimes he'll allow you to settle in places and spaces where you don't want to be. But you know why he does that? Because the content of his character is that he is a comforter and he wants to show you who he really is. Sometimes when you can't hear, you can see. And sometimes when you can't see, all you can do is hear. And faith is saying, I'm trusting in whatever you're putting in front of me. And if you're in the middle right now, his peace is an indication of his presence. His peace is an indication. Maybe the second one for you is that God is your counselor. Now, I'm going to say this. Um, I'm 27, and I've probably been through more therapy than most of y'all in your 40s and 50s, and I need it, okay? I definitely need it. And I think all of us need good counselors. I think all of us need to stay healthy in our body, our mind, and our souls. If you've been delaying going to the gym, today's your day. You need to get your body right. You need to get your mind right. I actually disconnect, and that is half of my therapy. Sometimes my wife is like, why are you at the gym so much? I'm like, if I don't do it, I'm going to go crazy. Like, I have to go there. Because it's meant for my mind. I have, I have people in my life who act like my counselors so that my heart can be right. And I have to be surrounded by people. And there's ways and abilities that I can gather people so that I can be healthy on my own. But how many know that people will still fail you? Advice will still be wrong at times. And in the middle of God being silent, he's reminding you that he's your counselor and he'll give you little indications of what you need to do, where you need to go, who you need to be. And he will be better than your therapist. He will be better than the gym because he will be the one that counsels you all the way through. God is our counselor. And the other one that I've learned is that God is your champion. He's your champion. This is why we celebrate Easter. This is why I celebrate what Jesus did on the cross for us because him dying on the cross was, if it ended there, there would be no hope for redemption, but it wasn't that where it ended, Jesus came out of the grave, meaning that the battle is already won, but we're in the middle of time and space. And this is what I told the 9 a.m. Do you know why God can give us promises? Do you know why? It's like Q&A, like nobody answers. All right, so here's why. <clears throat> I'm 27. It's 2022. I'm not good at math, but in five years, I'll be 32. And God has promised me things that I have yet to walk into. Do you relate? You have things that God has promised you have yet to walk into. And we believe this about God, that he lives outside of time and space. He knows the beginning and the end and everything in between. And because he operates outside of time and space, I have a promise five years from now that I have yet to walk into. But the only reason he can say that this is a promise I've given you is because he's already set it in motion five years later. I just haven't gotten there yet. In this waiting period is where we have to draw the faith to say, I don't need control, but I'm willing to wait until that promise comes. And it's difficult. It's not easy. But we have to be willing to wait in time and space and say, I will put one foot in front of the other. This is why the Bible says that God's word is a lamp unto our feet. It doesn't say it's an LED wall that's going to point you 40 years in the future. It's a lamp. You know what a lamp, it only gets you one foot in front of the other. And I believe that five years from now when we walk or whatever, whatever that timeline is, when we walk into that promise, he'll allow us to look back and see everything he brought us through to get to that promise. Here's what Job says about it. Job going through the worst days of his life, everything taken from him. You know what Job said? Job said, God moves mountains that I don't even know about. So here's what I want you to get this in your mind. In that, in that time and space difference between where you are and what God has promised you, there are mountains in your way. Business failures, marital hurts. There, I mean, you name it, there's, there's things you're going to lose, people are going to leave you, you're going to get hurt, things are going to look different. That's all in your future. <laughs> you're like, thanks for that. That's super encouraging. <laughs> there's things that you know that you're going to walk into that are going to be hard. We all know this. Life is not meant to just be easy. It's meant to teach us resilience. And in the middle of this time space, 
God is literally moving mountains that we will never see. And one day we'll be with him in eternity. And he'll say, remember that promise I gave you? You had to wait on. Be like, yeah, why'd you make me wait? Well, he'll say, I had to move this mountain out of the way. I had to move this thing out of the way. And what you don't know is in this time space, this gap between where, you're, where you are and what God has for you, he's working in that place. And maybe you're like, he's so quiet right now. Do you know he's moving mountains? He's quiet out. Do you know that he's moving things out of your way? Do you know that he's making rivers in the deserts? Do you know that he's aligning jobs? He's putting you in the right community. But we got to have the faith to see that with our eyes. In the middle of that space, God might be doing his best work. Number three, the, the third point I had is end in mind. Jesus had and lived with the end in mind. So Jesus went to lonely places. He stood silent and he had the end in mind. This is the working equation for a life well lived. If you're in a lonely place, you stand silent, you live with the end in mind, I promise you, you'll get through it. You hear me? You're stronger than you think you are. And when you're weak, you have the strength of God. So even in your weakness, you're good. But that's the equation for a healthy life right there. So Jesus lived with the end in mind. The Bible says that he was blindfolded and beaten. I want you to get this in your mind because I think there's so many people that have walked in here today and you have the proverbial blindfold on your eyes you're 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 sustaining day by day but you don't have vision for the future anymore you don't have vision for the job he gave you you don't have vision for the marriage you're in you don't have vision for your singleness you don't have vision anymore and you're literally like i'm just trying to survive i want to tell you this and and i'm going to ask for your forgiveness as well because i've preached so many times saying god did not want you to survive but he wanted you to thrive and there are people in here that you don't have the energy to thrive You don't have the capacity to thrive. Your capacity right now is simply to survive each day. Can I tell you, keep surviving. One more day. Get here next Sunday. Let's make that your platform. Let's make that your goal. If you got to survive till next Sunday, then you've done your job. Just keep surviving each day. There's There's seasons for thriving, you hear me? But there's also seasons where there is just surviving and that is okay. You just keep showing up. You just keep being you. And so Jesus, he's blindfolded and beaten. I think so many of us, we feel like we've got this blindfold on where it's taken some of our vision away. We can see things naturally because we're not blind, but we don't have vision anymore. And it feels like life, blow by blow, is hitting us. Difficulty, hardship, loss, you name it. And you're getting hit side by side, and you're like, I don't know how much longer I can stay in this. You listen to me. Live with the end in mind. That's the only way you make it through the seasons where it feels like you lose vision. You keep moving forward. You keep just sustaining. You can just keep surviving, but you just keep saying, I'm going to live with the end of mine. What is the end? The end is that I win. The end is that Jesus rose from the grave, so I win. The end is that there's a promise for me. The end is that if God told you there's a healthy marriage for you, there's a healthy marriage for you. The promise is that God told you there's going to be children, there's going to be children. If God told you there's going to be success, there's going to be success. If God told you it, he'll make it happen. And if you got the blindfold on right now, Jesus is in here today to give you new vision. He's in here to open your eyes. Paul, as he gets saved on the road to Damascus, shows us that even though God blinded him and took his sight away, he had vision in his mind. He couldn't see naturally, but God began to show him things that were going to happen. And my prayer today is that if you have lost vision, that he restores vision to you today. He restores vision for the thing that you can't hold on to. He restores vision for the thing you want to let go of. He restores vision to you today. 
And I want you to get this imagery that Jesus being in, in the inner place and Peter on the outside, that Jesus' discomfort paid for Peter's comfort. We're all Peter. We're all Peter. We're on the outside, God's on the inside, and he's working, and we're out here, and we're waiting, and like just going through the motions, and Jesus is the most uncomfortable moments of his life. You know, the Bible says that Jesus, he would have been 30 years old when he started his public ministry. He only went for three years until he was crucified on Good Friday. Now, we all know Good Friday was not good for Jesus. He was punished and hurt, abused, and then died. It wasn't good for him, was it? But it was good for us. And Peter's on the outside living it up. And Jesus is having all the pain taken to him. And I think that this, this shows us an indication that we can, we can be like Peter comforted and cared for by the campfire because Jesus took our cares to the cross. We can be like Peter. And I don't think that Peter was unaware. I think Peter may have been a little dumb, but so am I. I get it. I'm stubborn too. But I don't think this story is about Peter being completely unaware. Rather, I think it's a depiction of what Jesus did for us. While it felt like Jesus wasn't speaking to Peter, he, Peter couldn't hear Jesus' voice, right? He's on the outside. But God is fighting for Peter on the inside while Peter cannot hear his voice. And I think you need to receive this word today, church, that you haven't been hearing his voice, but would you hold on for a moment? He's on the inside working for you right now. Somebody needs to receive that. That it's felt like God has been absent, that God has been silent, that you don't know what to do. You're about to make your own decisions. He's on the inside. The Bible tells us that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, always interceding for you. And hear me. If you don't know what to pray, that's okay. Can I be honest as a pastor? I don't always know what to pray. In the silent moments, in the pain-filled moments, in the anguish in my life, I don't always know what to pray. But God tells us that we can pray in a heavenly language. And that Jesus begins to pray the perfect will of God over your life. This releases you from performance this releases you from having to do it on your own. This releases you from having to be perfect and live perfect and just say, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. And when I don't know what to do, when I don't know what to pray, he will do it for you because he's on the inner place working for you. You can be on the outside. That's okay. You just got to put your faith in Jesus. Delayed does not mean done. This is one that's been a hard pill for me to swallow. Delay does not mean done. It's been a long time. If you've been struggling just to believe another day, if you have lost some things that you thought you would have, if it's taken longer than you thought it would, delay does not mean done. He is not finished with your story yet. He is still in the work of redeeming. He's not done with you yet. And he'll take the broken things and he'll redeem them for his glory got to understand that the whole reason for the cross was not a good act of service the reason jesus even went to the cross for you was it was with a mission that if he would allow his life to be redeemed for you and for me that he could reconcile us to the father and you need to hear me god is going to redeem your situation do you hear me and the reason why he'll redeem it 
is all meant to reconcile you back to God, simply meaning to bring you back to the Father. His love for you is so great that he'll redeem your brokenness to bring you back to God so that you see how good and loving and kind and patient and persistent he really is. That's the whole reason for it. And I kind of equated to this. It's, I was reading it in 1 Corinthians 13 and it says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. There's been a lot of seasons of my life where I was, I've gotten this promise from God. It's going to look amazing. It's going to be everything I wanted. I, I'm, this is what my faith, my faith hinges on this promise. It's what it looks like. Seasons come and seasons go. There's highs and there's lows. And I got pieces of the puzzle. But if I'm honest, there's surviving seasons where the picture of what I thought it was going to look like seems like it's shattered. It doesn't look like what I thought it was going to look like. I got to get down here in the tough moments, in the, in the mucky moments, in the moments where I'm alone. I'm in anxiety. I got nothing left. And I'm like, God, this is not what I thought it was going to look like. I don't see that what it looks like. I got pieces here that don't even fit. And God's saying, I'm just giving you a piece today. And the only reason I'm giving you a piece today is because I'm trying to make you come back to me every single day because I want you to see that I'm the one who's going to lead you through this. I want you to see that there is no promise without me. And so I'm teaching you to rely on me, to walk with me. And I'm like, Jesus, why? This is what it was supposed to be. Look at it. This doesn't look like it. And Jesus reminds us. Day by day, piece by piece, moment by moment, that there's a promise for you. Even if it looks like it's broken, even if it has taken too long to get there, moment by moment, we serve a Savior who walks with us, who talks with us, who reveals himself to us, who doesn't leave us or forsake us. And it might only be a piece right now, but that piece is important to the puzzle and you can't miss it. I have a mentor that tells me don't waste a good trial. If you're in the middle, if you're in pain, if you only got a piece right now, he sees it. He's outside of time and space and he's putting things together for you right now. He's not done here. This right here is the process. Do you understand me? He's not done with this. He's still working this together. Piece by piece, moment by moment. Lastly, I'm closing here. The band can come as you can stand firm. Because Jesus went to lonely places. He stood silent. He had the end in mind. You and me, because of all of that, through Mark chapter 14, reveals to us that we can stand firm believing the promises and the goodness of our God. Jesus was led to lonely places. And tonight, is, or this morning as we're closing, it still feels like tonight because I've been up for so long now. <laughs> um, I felt like somebody needed to hear this today, that you don't have to fight this battle anymore. You have to have faith in this battle. It astounds me how many times I read about David in Scripture. And they were fighting. We know they're fighting Goliath. And every time his boys were fighting Goliath, they called Goliath a giant. But every time David saw Goliath, he called him a man. He saw something different. I wonder how many people in here today, we just need to see something different. I wonder how many people in here are ready to give up, but you need to hold on and you only got a piece of the puzzle. I just wonder today if... Maybe today you need to relinquish control and say, God, I'm not going to fight in this battle anymore. I'm going to have faith in this battle. In my prayer, I'm going to read Exodus 14, then we're going to close. But 
my prayer lately has been this, and it's not the most holy prayer, but it's, it's what I got. And maybe today this is what you need. And maybe close your eyes with me. This is your prayer. As I told you earlier, faith simply means divine persuasion. And this has been me in the moments where nobody's been around. The moments where I've lost sight of the promise, the picture, the things that God said. The moments where I, if I'm honest, I want to turn back. I want to give up. I want to quit. My prayer is, God, persuade me again. Persuade me like you did when I was first saved. Persuade me that you love me again. Persuade me you have a good plan for me. Persuade me that you're moving mountains out of my my path right now. Persuade me that you want to get to me. Persuade me that you have good plans for me. Persuade me that you won't leave me or forsake me. Persuade me again. And God, when you start persuading me again and I start feeling it again, and it might take a little while, but God, once you start persuading me again, would you restore to me the faith? Would you restore to me the wonder of faith? God, I want to believe the things that you're saying. God, I need to be persuaded, but I want to be restored. I want to walk into situations that deplete me and take from me, but walk in believing that you are who you say you are. God, restore to me the wonder of faith where I walk in and I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just like, God, if you're out there, do something. Restore to me the wonder of faith. Exodus 14, 13 says this, and I'm, 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 I'm done here. You're going to have it on the screen. Exodus 14, 13 says, Moses answered the people. He said, do not be afraid, but stand firm, and you'll see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Say Egyptians. I want you to understand what's going on here. Moses, he's talking to the Israelites. The Red Sea's behind them. They can swim out, but if they swim out, they're going to drown and die. So they can't go backwards. And they can't go forwards because the people that want them dead are going to attack them from the front. And they, they've got nowhere to run. They're stuck. What are they going to do? And God tells Moses, tell the people, the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. He's like, hold on, what? The Egyptians, you, the fears you see today? The anxiety that you feel today, the stress that you feel today, the brokenness you feel today, you'll never see again. The deliverance of the Lord is coming today. I believe that. I believe that the joy in the house of the Lord is for people that have been redeemed, people that have been delivered, people that have been set free. Today is the last day. You see these Egyptians. Do you hear me? Today's the day. I'm going to declare we're getting ready for Easter, but the good news is it wouldn't be good news without Jesus going to the cross because there's a hope of redemption. You can stand. I'm going to close. You can stand up. I was uh, reading forward in my Bible because I'm so spiritual, you know, and uh, probably up hours before my wife just seeking the Lord, you know, making coffee for her. And uh, I was reading the story of Jesus actually going to the cross. And there's this um, you guys can take this away. There's this representation of what's happening that Jesus is crucified next to two rightful criminals, right? One on his right, one on his left, the two next to him deserving death. Jesus not. And, and God felt like God spoke to me in that moment and he said, I want you to realize where Jesus is. One on his right, one on his left. Jesus was in the middle, in the middle of the crosses. Because he's working in the middle of your situation. 
He's working in the middle of your life. He's working in the middle of your impossibility. He's working in the middle. Jesus has always been in the middle. And right now, wherever you are, friend, he is right in the middle of that place. So I feel like today, that today was a day of deliverance. We want to talk about having joy in the house of the Lord. It only comes when the people who have been redeemed and set free from much have a lot to have joy for. I think today's the day we celebrate that. But if you've never given your life to Jesus, listen, I'm done with us closing our eyes. Keep your eyes open. Look around. I don't care. I want you to see, I want people to see you lifting up your hands in a bold statement saying, I'm giving my heart to Jesus because it's going to be those people who see all the things that the Lord delivers you from. Today, if you want to give your heart to Jesus, you need to recommit your life to him. If you're tired of doing this on your own, it's been heavy and exhausting. Today is your day. He is calling you back to him and he's the reminder that the best is not behind you. It is still in front of you. Today, you want to give your life to him. Shoot up your hands all over this room. Come on. Keep them up there. Keep them up there. It's amazing. Come on. Come on. There's some people who are afraid. Put them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Amen. Come on. Pray along. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for me, for my sins. I give my life to you. All my days, they're for you. I'll live for you. I thank you for rising from that grave for the redemption and the plans that you have for me. I commit myself wholly to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we give it up for those who gave their hearts to Jesus today? It's amazing. I'm way over, but I I tell my youth ministry all the time that I've found that it's actually in my brokenness and my weakness that I've seen more of God move, and I'm not in a perfect place. I'm struggling too. But I can tell you that God is good. He redeems everything. So today, if you've come in here and you're like, yo, there's a lot of brokenness in my life and I need God to redeem some things and I need to have the faith for that and he feels like he's been quiet and I've been asking and seeking and I haven't heard his voice and I need to hear him clearly. I need to know what he's doing. If you've struggled hearing his voice, I believe that today he wants to open some ears in this place. Can you shoot up your hands? Say, I've never heard or I haven't heard from God in a while. Lift up your hands. Come on, keep them up, keep them up. I haven't been hearing from the Lord. Come on, I know there's more than that. I've been having a hard time hearing his voice. I don't know where he wants me to go. I don't know what he wants me to do. And I need direction right now. God, you see these hands and only you are in control. And so we relinquish control and we say, God, we are placing our faith in you. Would you persuade us again of your goodness? Would you persuade us again that you are working on our behalf, that you love us, that you are for us? And in this moment, we make room for you. God, I pray that you would clear out the mind that every thought would come into captivity to Christ right now that God we would hear you and sense you and feel you and that the freshness of the love of God would overflow in this place anew every morning God set us on fire again bring us back to you again and God we just thank you right now that you're opening up deaf ears to hear you we thank you for the direction of the Holy Spirit and we thank you and we celebrate you in this place that you are going to redeem and set free and restore again in this place in Jesus name can you say amen Come on, can we get some praise to Jesus this morning? Come on, let's sing, let's sing, let's sing. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church Podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.